Hi, welcome to the I'm Plot. I'm Jason Bauman from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and just uh, wanted to welcome you to everybody, and we'll uh, enjoy a conversation. I am Aaron Rooney. And I'm Heath Calhoun. So, Jason, uh, you are the head coach of North Star Diving Club in Minneapolis. But uh, before we get to what's going on currently, I want you to take us all back, take us through, you know, diving career, early, uh, early stages, you know, whether it was high school, coming up age group, uh, you know, your coaching history as well, where you started out and, uh, you know, that progression and then what's going on at this point in time. Sure. So I will, I will do my best to be brief, um, but, but uh, it, there's a long, long history, you know, for me, if I, if I really start at the beginning, I started diving in 1979 as seven years old. Um, in growing up in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, you know, I, uh, that was my formal introduction to diving. Um, my, probably my real first introduction to diving came about two, um, where I was, you know, you know, community pools that we lived in and the places where we were and jumping off the diving board and happened to live in a place that had a, a three meter diving board. And I was up there with the, the little styrofoam cube on my back, jumping off the board and, and, and doing that. And so, you know, it, it it, it, my love affair with the sport started at a young age where I was just, I loved the water and was outside and doing that and had some opportunities that kind of worked that way. Um, so I started diving in 1979. I dove um, at a, a city championships there in a city rec, rec league in Nebraska and Lincoln. Um, and then I ended up getting onto a club program, which at, at the time, funny as it may sound, I actually, we registered with the amateur athletic union um, because USA didn't miss that first team that I dove for was Nebraska Products Diving, and I actually swam for Nebraska Products Swimming, dove for Nebraska Products Diving, and did gymnastics at the Nebraska Gymnastics School of Gymnastics around the corner, all in one building, um, for for a long, for several years. And so I was really fortunate to kind of have that as the, as a, a kind of a backdrop growing up, um, and I dove, you know. Summers, I, I trained with at the, you know, with the divers from the University of Nebraska, and actually they're through their camp program and got a chance to dive with them, and and was very fortunate that the head coach for the program there was actually took a liking to me, um, and I, I and that I got a chance to train with them during the summertime, and so these guys that were 18, 19, 20, 21 became kind of my idols, but also people that I was able to train with and learn from, and so I was really fortunate in that. Um, I dove high school in Nebraska for three years. I was the runner up there in, in my freshman and sophomore year. And then my junior year, I won uh, the state high school championship there. Um, I went to, I think, five junior national championships during that period of time, starting at age 12. Um, and then I dove collegiately at Indiana University in Bloomington. Um, and the diving coach that was there was actually Jeff Huber was my coach that was at Nebraska before, and he had actually left when Hobie retired and took over in that program. So he had gone one year before that time before I graduated. Um, and then after diving in college, I actually left the sport for a little while in, in some ways, but I, I, I stayed around for a fifth year at, in, um, in college. I finished my degrees basically in three and a half years, but I decided I wanted to experience being a real student as opposed to a student athlete for a bit. Um, and I coached a high school team. I actually co my, was my, kind of my first formal coaching job. I'd done the camps that we'd done during the summer and, and done a lot of that where I'd learned to pull belt and, and do some other things along that way. But 
I coached Bloomington South High School back in 1994. Uh, the girls and the boys in 1995 because they did separate seasons, which is very similar to here in, in Minnesota, which they don't do anymore, but I really think it was a, is a, is a plus, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and then when I graduated from college in 95, I went to Chicago via California, and that was a long, long haul. But I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car for about three and a half years, um, and then I worked as a sales manager for a staffing company for about a year. And I, and I decided I really missed the sport of diving, and I missed coaching, and I, that I found that the things I was good at in my other job was really mentoring and guiding other people and kind of teaching them things. And I was like, gosh, I, I really wish I had the opportunity to do that. My job in uh, Chicago, and I moved to the University of Wyoming and took a job for a third of what I was making uh, to be a, a diving coach. And so I was at the University of Wyoming 1999 to 2001. Um, and then from 2001 to 2005, I was the assistant diving coach, which had many titles, but the diving events coordinator was the position I was hired to do at Indiana University. And then I was the head coach for the club program of Indiana Diving for the age group team. And I was also the camp director for Indiana Diving Academy, which we ran about a five-week camp every summer. And we averaged about 70 kids a week during that period of time that I was there wow. and managed our staff and did a lot of other things that way. And then 2005, 2009, I was diving coach at the University of Wyoming, um, our University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. So I... Uh, in addition to being the head coach for the program there, I had the opportunity to start a club um, as well, or at least to continue to run the club of Twin City Divers, which we did our age group team and, and club program. And we grew that to about 100 kids pretty regularly, somewhere in that range, 80 to 100 kids on our team doing camps during the summer and doing that. Um, and and a little bit about how the club and college relationship works together and how I think that was really important stuff for us and kind of some of the, the people that were developed during that time too. And then from 2009, I, I was the interim diving coach at the University of Utah for 2010 for just a couple of months in January, 2010 to, to April. And then I took a job as the USA Diving Director of Education um, in 2010 of April, 2010 and was there 2010 to 2014 and I moved back to the Twin Cities in 2014 and kind of went through some different challenges and, and, and looking at some things. I lost my father and I actually started the, the club team here of North Star Diving basically from scratch with zero kids and a website in 2015 and kind of had an, a really good idea of what I wanted it to be um, and I was able to build that into my full-time job of that that is my job of and we was able to kind of say this is what I want to do and not do any other things outside of that and um, we had over 200 uh, registered athletes and coaches in 2016 17 18 and 19 and even last year and during a pandemic we had 170 registered coaches and athletes wow so, um, but but uh, you know that that doesn't happen overnight but you have a, a vision for what it's going to be like and so you know I've, I've been really fortunate I've had good in my career I have great mentors in my career and coaches that I've worked with I've been able to you know learn at each stop and do that but that's you know you yeah you, you ask for a brief introduction and it's hard because you look back and you know I'm going to be 49 years old this summer and and my coaching my, my diving career goes 42 years and my you know my love affair with the sport and you know being even from a little guy is you know longer than that so for sure and, and so Real quick, just kind of going back through a little bit of this, 
Uh, you talked about, you know, growing up, you were, you were idolizing some of these, you know, athletes at the university of Nebraska. And, and that really resonated with me because that is kind of how I was introduced to you. Um, when I was in high school, I would come down to camps at the U of M and, you know, I'd stay for two weeks at a time, three different summers. And, you know, you get introduced to the team guys. I still remember Tyler Jepson and, and Jack Schrader who ended up uh, marrying Terry Horner, who at that yep. time was at least in my mind, maybe he wasn't, but he was one of the only guys doing front four and a half on three meter. And he was, it, you're right. It, it, it was just, it's, it's cool to hear you talk about that because that's exactly how kind of my diving career started. And, and every, every time I came down to the U of M or every time I had, some interaction with you I always kind of cranked my level up just a little because it was it was a place and it was a, a mentality of this is one of the best coaches in the nation and this is right in my backyard let's make sure that you never say I'm scared you never say I can't and you uh you kind of pushed me to levels and I'm extremely appreciative of that and it was cool to hear you know your background and it, it sounded like you know, we, we started similarly, at least yeah. from the, from the youngster side of things. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I think that that's your job too, is, is that, you know, you set that culture and, and, and doing that. And I think that's where I think is really important is, is it's, it's, I'm glad, I'm glad that we were, had that impact, impact on you. Cause I think that's what I, I strive to do is just that, you know, I wanted, I wanted our athletes and us to be approachable and, and be able to do and set that and say, listen, you know, we all go through that. We all, we all are scared, but you know what, it's, it's a challenge challenge for us to, how do we work through that and navigate those waters? And I, I think, you know, those two athletes that you, you, you mentioned there and Tyler and, and Jack are, are special to me. You know, Tyler was a, a, he was a college, a high school soccer player. He was a goalkeeper in, in high school. Um, and he dove as well. And, and, and I thought he was a really good individual, but he worked hard, you know, he put his heart and soul into everything he did and gave you everything he had. And I, I'm, I'm super proud of him and, and his, what he did in his career and, and what he continues to do. And Jack, you know, Jack kind of, kind of was a, from our club team and, you know, didn't always have all of the together, but I, I, she and I grew together. And I think she went on to dive back at Florida state for two years too. And, you know, and part of that was her relationship with Terry and, and that's worked out that they have children and they live in Orlando and, she, they are, she is coaching and they're coaching together and doing that. And, and so I also like that part of it is that there is this way for me to impact people and the athletes that have come through us, they kind of go back and that they get into coaching because they love the sport. Um, and I think that's really an important piece of it too. It's pretty Build cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, Jason, I, uh, I was kind of reading your bio on the website for North star diving and something really stuck out to me. And I mentioned it to Aaron, uh, so you have to explain how does a, you were a four-year team captain at Indiana. You know, I think all the people that are listening know Indiana diving. I feel like being a four-year team captain is pretty unheard of. So how, walk me through that. You know, I, it, it's a, it's part of timing is it, some of that. And then also just, you know, the, the, the relationships that I had to, um, so one of my best friends in the entire world is actually diving coach at, at Iowa State University at Jeff Work. And if you meet a better person, I, I, tell me who that is because I, I want to know who that is because there isn't one. Um, Jeff was a walk-on the year before. So he is about a year, 14, 15 older than me. Um, 
basically did four years together. Jeff Huber, the head coach for Indiana, he actually, when he was there, he actually came in in 1989. Um, and at, on the team at that time, you had uh, Mark Lindsay and you had some female divers on the team as well that, but most of them when Hobie retired, that they were at the end of their career and kind of done. And, and, and I think that's, that happens. It is, as I think anybody who has coached any athletes, even at school level, and they leave, there is this weird sense of loss. And they always have this feeling like, oh, I'm going to stay for this person, or I'm going to stay for that person. And, you know, Lindsay had one more year and doing that after the Olympics in, in 88 and, and, and kind of looking at that. And I think Hobie, Hobie was time and ready for him to, to move on and, and retire. And I think Jeff came in and, and, and did that. And, you know, we had a, a very kind of, strange dynamic of when I came in the next year in 1990, Jeff had been there as a walk-on. He was actually, Jeff Warwick had been going to Nebraska and literally when Jeff left and took the job at Indiana, he actually decided to change and go with him. So he redshirted that his freshman year. So we competed together all four years. Um, and then um, on the women's side, there was pretty much no upperclassmen. It was three freshman girls and myself that all came in as one class. And I think part of that was, is that, you know, we were a small diving team. We had five, five girls on the team at that point. Um, myself probably had the the longest career before that. Jeff Warwick had some career. He started, you know, in, in about middle school with his diving career. I had started at a younger age. I'd grown up with Jeff. And so there was probably this familiarity piece of it that way. And so it just was a part of having a small team, but also that, you know, I kind of took on in a weird way, this kind of athlete kind of coach role, even at a young age, because I was familiar with what Jeff wanted. You know, I dove for him so long for so long and knew what, what things were going on that way. And, and, and we had a very young team, but you know, I wanted to be good. I was, I was committed to being good and to working hard. And, you know, I, I platform was my best event. That was the one that I strive to do. You know, we, I, I argued to stay outside and keep the pool, outdoor pool open as long as we could. So we didn't have to trek to Indianapolis to dive 10 meter, you know, and doing that. So I, I just was fortunate. It was just timing wise. And, and, and that, you know, as we added more people to the team, you know, we talked about it, this was our family and we wanted them to join the Indiana diving family and become a part of that. And, you know, I'm still tied into that is that you know, I'm, I'm a proud Indiana alum. I also work there too. And so having that as, you know, there's a, I am a Hoosier through and through in that regard. Awesome. Awesome. That that's quite an accomplishment. There can't be too many athletes that have been four year team captains. So that's pretty cool. I, I was like, I have to ask that. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you know, and I, and I think my, my other thing is, is that I, I knew that the swim team was a, an important piece of that. And that, you know, even you had a historic coach on the swimming side that retired in 1990, who we were starting with a brand new swim coach too, is because doc councilman retired that next year. So the relationship between swimming and diving was there. And, and I, I kind of took it upon myself to try and tie those things together. Um, and I, one of my good friends, actually, I ran into him at a diving meet last year in Milwaukee, one of the last ones we went to. Um, and his daughter is diving. They live in Chicago and his daughter's actually diving for Chris Jorgensen's team at North, you know, the club oh, team yeah. at Northwestern, who was an athlete I coach. So it is a <laughs> weird cool. small world that we live in. For sure. For sure. It really is. And, and we're all, we're, we're all noticing that too, you know, an honor to, to be able to reach out to you and have you say yes. But not only that, we've had 
you know, comments from other coaches across the country. And they're all saying the exact same thing. Hey, this is kind of cool. Let's get some information out there. Cause at this point there really isn't a whole ton, at least, yeah. you know, there, there's coaching resources and videos and things that you can look up, but they're, you know, we, we all just get excited about talking diving, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of leads us into uh, the first topic. You know, we, we sent you a list of all the things that we might be interested in and, and you did the same. And uh, the one that stuck out to me was coaching philosophy. Um, you know, I think that's something I've worked really hard to try to develop my philosophy and what I'm, I stand for as a coach. And I would love to hear how not only you developed your coaching philosophy, but how that impacts everything you do. You know, you said your coaching philosophy drives everything you do with your program. And I'd really love to hear how you got that, how you, how you came to that. You know, I think I'm, I'm a, I'm really fortunate about just some of quirks of life and they happen, right. That I, I happened to grow up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I, and it was a very, this sports oriented environment of the university of Nebraska dominates everything there. And, and it, it does football, basketball at that time. And, you know, growing up and, and doing that and seeing that. And I was fortunate enough that there was a nice pool to train in. And I was fortunate enough to have a great, club coaches. Gary Cox is one of my, one of my club coaches and Gary was awesome. And I was at his wedding when he got married. And so I got a chance to see his parents do that. And I, and I, I appreciate how laid back he was, but also how much, how competitive he was, you know, some, some of those things. And, you know, having Jeff Huber there as, as my coach and, and his commitment to education and that he was getting a, a PhD and becoming a doctor in educational psychology, right? Like there's this lifeline learning component of it that I think is so important. And so I kind of looked at all of those things. And, and when I decided I wanted to become a coach and, and really that that was what I wanted to be my job, it was later in life. It was after I'd kind of gotten out of college and gone to work and worked in these other environments. And I, and I, I coached a lot of other people, you know, as I was a, a pretty good high school athlete and I would help other athletes because I saw them struggling with things. And I was like, Hey, if you do this, this is going to help. And, and not trying to be condescending, but also just trying to say, listen, I see you struggling with that. I really think if you try this, it'll help. And, and I think, you know, even having that to start with and, and doing that. And so I always kind of looked at it that way, but really when I got back into coaching in 1999 and, and going to the university of Wyoming um, and starting that way, one of the very first things I said is like, listen, if I'm going to do this and I want to be a, a coach, I need to know as much as I possibly can about being a coach, about sport and all of the things that go into that, right? Is that exercise physiology, sports psychology, the, the, all of the nuts and bolts of what it takes to be a successful athlete. And I don't have to be a master of all of them, but I need to understand so that I can actually impart that to my athletes. But the biggest thing that I think many people forget is that being a coach is being a teacher. And so the pedagogy and the, and the learning and this, and the learning theory and the motor learning, motor control is probably as important, if not more important than your technical knowledge to start with. Because if you cannot communicate with the people you work with and you can't teach them how to do it, you are very compromised as a coach. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I can tell you thousands of technical things, but if I can't teach you how that applies or why that's necessary or talk about motivation, 
it, it, it doesn't matter. And, and so I will say that my coaching philosophy has developed through that period of time. Um, and, you know, but I, I started with the idea that, you know, I needed to have a better understanding and knowledge of what I wanted to do. And so that was the first part for me is education was, was a big thing is not just the diving stuff. The diving stuff I felt pretty good about, but I wanted to get the other components of that where it was, you know, the sports psychology, the, the learning, the teaching and, the, and that piece. So that's one aspect of it. Um, you know, two is, is that I think that I, I also grew as a coach through coaching at different levels, whether that was a, you know, a camp. And I, I did, when I was at Wyoming, we did outreach camps. I drove, to, I did a camp in big piney Wyoming. I did one in Kemmerer, Wyoming. Fun fact about Kemmerer, it's where the original first Sears was. Nobody knows <laughs> uh, because that's what's there. And we did a camp there and it was for like six kids, you know, in, in the middle of nowhere. And, but it was important for us to go out there and try and help the coaches that were out there too, and kind of give them some information, but also give a chance to, you know, just build my, build my personal experience in Wyoming as we were trying to build a recruiting base out of there too, but also just trying to do that. But I, I think that, you know, through that, you look at it and it's like, listen, you're not always going to have everything. You're not going to have all the shiny toys. You're not going to have everything you're going to need, but you can certainly do more with less um, if you figure out how to do that. So I think, you know, part of that was also just looking around and trying to figure that out and then going to, to Indiana and, and having elite athletes and, and being able to work with them. You know, I was fortunate enough that Sarah Ryling, who is now Sarah Hildebrand, um, was a 2000 Olympian before I came back there in 2001 and, and certainly built out of that program. You know, I had to coach my first junior national champion there, Lindsay Weigel, who ended up coaching, you know, winning three junior national titles um, in that period of time. And, and, you know, Jeff and I having conversations about that and, and, you know, we have some difference in our philosophies. You know, he was, you know, your, your best athlete should get your most attention. And I sort of felt like that was the opposite for me. Whereas that all my athletes should get my attention and feel like that they are, they are worthwhile and, and deserving of that. And, you know, if someone is willing to do more then maybe you, you give them a little bit more direction, but, but that way. So it's, you know, we were able to kind of discuss that, but I think, the biggest thing is then figuring out what's the guiding principle um, in, a, in a different environment. It can be different things, but I think at its base and its core, who you decide you want to be as a coach and what drives you drives everything that you do, whether you are a division one coach, whether you're a club coach, whether you coach a rec team, whether you coach a high school program, whether you coach, three months of the year and you don't do anything with it the other nine months of the year, how you look at it drives all of that other stuff. And for me, it, it, I'll ask you the question, you know, it's the question I ask new coaches when they come on my staff. That's the question I ask a lot of the coaches is, you know, what is your coaching philosophy? What's, what are the guiding thing principles that you have that are, are unchangeable, right. That are so key to everything you do what what's your influence and how you, and how you determine success is answered in that question and how would you answer that question so me so my my feeling is is that 
being a diamond coach is a method for me to be able to teach life skills to individuals and making them better people and setting them up to be able to be successful in life is way more important than anything they ever win, compete in, or doubt. The ability to get back up and fight again when you get are hit in the teeth and that you, you find face adversity. My job is to teach you that that is okay. And in fact, that that's actually success. I love it. That's, uh, you know, we talked with some coaches and, and our coaches ourselves, and, and it seems like all the best coaches that Aaron and I have had, you know, maybe I use myself as an example. It took me a while to figure out that he was teaching me different skills. You know, I thought it was just diving and I maybe learned later than some, but I'm like, ah, you were teaching me other stuff, like do the little things. And, and it's really neat to hear that, you know, that's, it's not, um, it, it just neat to hear that coaches that we're looking at and talking to, they, they all kind of have that shared value of teaching and, and it's bigger than diving. So very neat. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, the bottom line is, is that, they're going to be people forever. They're going to be divers yeah. for a short period of time. <laughs> yep. And, you know, I, I was at a grad party today and talking to a, a parent and, you know, I, I, the mom looked at me and she goes, you know, she, she had tried a couple of different clubs and she'd been with you and she's like, but she just had a connection with you. And I was like, and, and I appreciate you talking me off the ledge when I was the anxious mom. I appreciate you. I could tell that you cared about my child. And the bottom line is, is that that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. And, and if I do that, it's easy to do the right thing. And sure. mean you always are going to get it right. You're going to make mistakes. And we all do. And, and I think I've learned and grow. But I, and the other thing is that you, you never stop growing. You will never have all the answers. You will never possess all the knowledge, whether you're the, the head Olympic coach or not. You still don't have all the answers. And so there's always something to be learned. Um, I can tell you a, an anecdote, just that an experience that came for me that I, I, I got a chance to do. And it, it was humbling. And it was also very inspiring to me in 2000. And I think it was 11. I don't quote me on that, but I believe it was 2011. It was during the period of time that I was working for USA diving. Um, we had a convention in Dallas uh, at, and we were at, at the hotel and we did did, a, did some meetings and our meetings were with um, one of the people that we brought in as a speaker was Andy Banks. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Andy Banks was actually uh, Tom Daly's coach. He was Tom Daly's club coach. I believe it was 2011. I'm pretty sure because it was the year after he was here for Junior Worlds in 2010. Um, and we had Andy talk about, you know, kind of his experiences. Obviously, Steve Foley, the high performance director at that was my boss here and so there was some connection there and Andy had come and talked about all these great things and how they brought Tom they found this Tom Daly as a you know through their talent ID program and corralled him through and brought him out and when they brought him to his first you know world cup event and winning and they brought him to Madrid and winning and doing this and made him into a world champion and turned him to these levels and heights that you know are, are amazing you know and got through our convention. It was done on, done on Saturday. And on Sunday morning, I had arranged a clinic that I was going to do there um, about hand spotting and doing some other skills. And Andy wasn't going back until the afternoon, the evening on Sunday night. And he said, Hey, I'd like to come with you. Is that okay? And I'm like, um, yeah, you can come anytime <laughs> you want. Where, you tell me, you tell me where you want to be. I'll pick you up. And you know, he, 
here, here's, here's this guy who's an Olympic coach and, and coached the world champion and brought him along from a beginning diver and does that and comes out and comes to this hand spotting clinic. And I'm watching him look at other people do hand spotting skills. And, you know, Jeff Stabile did some, and he's like, Oh, I really like that. I'm going to take that back and use it in my program back in England. And, and to me, it was like, it was inspiring because it was like, listen, this is, this is it. You know, that you don't have to know everything. Even if you're the best coach in the world, there's always something else you can learn. And, and it was really evident to me in that moment. Heath actually, Heath has a great question about learning. Heath, if you want to ask him that one. Oh, um, what do you do to, to learn? You know, like you said, you're 42 years into your diving career, um, whether it's athlete or coach, you know, what are some things you're doing to continue that education? You know, you mentioned that quite a few times already. You know, I think, I think a lot of different things. I mean, I think the, some of the biggest influences is, is just sitting down and actually watching video and breaking it down and looking at the trends, um, understanding biomechanics, understanding that biomechanics are different from different individuals. And so you can't look at and take, you know, I think what, what easily happens to many people is they overgeneralize. Um, and I'll give you an example and see if this makes sense. Um, for a period from about 2005, four to 2012, who had the fastest reverse three and a half tuck in the world? Chinese diver named He Chong. Oh yeah, yep. Okay, well, no, He Chong didn't do that. How did he circle? How did he get into his reverse starts? What does his arm? What do his arms do? I'm gonna test you. I'm gonna say, go back and look at the video. His arms <laughs> would come straight through, go straight up to his ears, and his hands would go straight forward and grab his legs. He had yes. no circle around at all. <laughs> now, question is why? And, 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 I, and I asked that as a question, is, well, why, did, why does he go straight down? Everybody you knew at that point was going way back here and circling around and doing this. And then you started looking at it, you started talking about it, started thinking about it. Okay, what's the, what's the biomechanics? Well, guess what? From his connection where he extends to a connection, when he got into his dive, the faster he connects and gets small, the faster it's going to initiate once, he, once he's initiated the right direction. But once he got his arms through, he can close that way and do that. Now, he didn't circle, I don't know why, but for him that would just worked. And, and not everybody is built the same. You look at his body type and his body shape, he's got a shorter torso, shorter torso, shorter torso, and his legs were about the same length as his upper body. And I would say that that actually is a factor into why that worked for him and maybe why it wouldn't work for somebody like um, King Kai, because his body isn't built the same way. Shorter, longer torso, more powerful, longer legs, more to move in that direction and needs a little bit different initiation. But I think that the biggest thing is you got to go back and you got to actually a understand the biomechanics and the physics. You got to be then look at it and like, okay. And then you got to see, ask questions. And then you got to do that and break it down. And then you got to talk to people who are smarter than you and, and, and do that. And why do you think they do that? And, and understand that that just because that person is the best in the world at it doesn't mean that everybody is going to be able to do it that way, but that there may be some underlying guiding principles that may actually apply to everybody. And so I think it's, it's that study and that understanding um, and kind of looking through that component of it, you know? And so I, I, I probably watch a ton of diving videos, but I probably also watch them and look at, 
what are the major landmarks and things that you're seeing? When you look at somebody who does the best hurdle in the world, what are the hurdle, what are the components like? And then creating a system, because what we don't have in this country is a system. We have, we have a, we have a lot of other things, but that and a lot of innovation, and that's really good and can be a great thing. But we don't really have a good system. Sure. <laughs> so, did that answer the question? I sort of got off base there a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Kind of understand what I think the biggest thing is is that you have to you have to look at and under and study and study the videos and understand is that and do that. And then some of it is actually you know I refer to the dryland as dryland as my laboratory, hundred percent. You know, what, what we can learn on, on the trampoline and the belts and harnesses and things that you're doing in the floor, you know, on the foam pit and doing that and making changes. That's where you can actually teach, but it's also where you can learn components of, you know, and, and I, I will tell this to my kids a lot is that, listen, I am not qualified to be a gymnastics coach, but I do have a lot of background and understanding and I can communicate in your language and actually interpret what you do over here and how it feels over here and how to do that. And, you know, we talk about how reverses are hip circles on, on bars and flyaways on bars. Mm -hmm. And they're the, if you think about when you, you watch a little girl try to learn how to swing on bars and get over the first time and a pullover yep. that the reason they can't get up is because they throw their head straight back and their legs go up and they come back down. That's everybody who teaches a reverse dive straight in the Charlie Brown style, as I'd like to refer to it. Who's going to pull a football out, throw your head back as far as you can and go backwards. Oh. It's 100% wrong. It, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I, I talk to my athletes a bunch. You know, in Minnesota, we have a big range of, you know, we have some absolutely phenomenal high school coaches. And then we have some beginners that, that just are there because either they needed to fill a spot or you're just kind of learning. And if somebody ever, like a coach ever says, oh, you know, this is your reverse, you know, just get up and, and throw your head back. I, I not only try to correct the coach again, without sounding arrogant, but I tell my kids, I look at them, I'm going to say, guys, I just don't want you to watch this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Right. And, and, and I, and, and unfortunately, here's the thing. I was learning, I was taught that way. And that's, and, and I had great coaches and I, 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 I don't fault them for that. I think I just learn and evolve and understand it's like, listen, there's a better way to explain that to people. Right. And the, yeah, there's a better, sure. there's a better understanding of that. Here's the physics of that. And here's, here's where, here's where you can actually use those tools in the gym and explain to people, because if you watch that little girl and that little boy in the gym trying to do a pullover and they throw their head back, their legs go straight down over and over again. And when you explain it to them that way and you can actually pick, pick their hips up and they do that and you put their head in and you bring them over the bar, they go, oh, that's different. And, and so it, there's this kind of understanding of like, all right, I'm, I'm following you and I, and I get that. And so it's just, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of trying to explain it in not just one way. And that, right. that's why having multiple coaches is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so, okay. We're going to transition into this one. I judge at state and it's always very clear that your athletes are either at the top or, or near the top. Um, so when I judge, and I know you have extensive, extensive judging uh, credentials way more so than me. So how do you kind of link the two, you know, linking your judging knowledge with your coaching and how do you kind of um, 
help the athletes out from that perspective and, and how much does that play into training? Okay. Can I ask you questions back? This yes, for sure. I want to go this way. So I'll, I'll ask, I want to ask Keith too first. So as we are looking at this, um, if you asked your athletes, could they tell you what the, what the four elements of the dive are that they're, they're scored on? To be honest with you, I do not think they would actually be able to tell you all four elements. All right. And my second question is, can you tell them? Can you answer it? <laughs> to be honest, I probably couldn't tell you because Keith. I focus so much on the end. Come on, man. Like, we, <laughs> we talked about this in Diving 101 episode two, bro. <laughs> all right. So, Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, can you help him out? What are, the, what, are yes. the, what are the four elements of the dive you're looking at? Uh, you have the approach. You have the hurdle. You have the flight. And you have the entry. All right. So one and two are together. Okay. That's, that's part two. There's actually one before that. Is huh. the starting position? That's correct. Starting, starting position. position. There we go. Approach and takeoff are together. Flight to the air, entry into the water. So those are your four elements. Then what's the other? What's the what's the overall that's putting a big package on it? Just kind the of overall one. impression. Right. Yep. The overall impression. So then you got to think about it, right? Okay. Here, these are the four elements, and I got to look at a dive, and you can do it one of two ways. And there, there's there's different theories and opinions on that. Um, do you look at the overall impression? and put it in a category and then do you just take off for the elements or do you do it the other way where you look at the elements and then you put it into a category because of that and then maybe make some adjustments. Um, there is not a right or a wrong way. I will tell you my way. I will tell you what I've learned. I'll tell you what I've done. And I probably between the years 2009 and 2018, 19, whatever I went to the Junior Pan Ams in Victoria, I think it was in 19, um, looked at this, taking the judging course and the FINA judging international course multiple times in that period of time and heard different instructors and the different instructors are members of the FINA TDC. So they're members of the technical diving committee. And they are the ones who actually then are observers for the for that and actually give scores and judges rankings for international judges. Um, and, and I think, you know, there are some really smart individuals in there. And I think that the good part about it is, is that you have to use both sides of your brain to be a good judge. You have to be able to use the analytical side of your brain to look at those elements of starting position. Kid stands on the board like this. That's not very good, right? Um, and, and I, Heath, I don't know your background as far as with this piece, but I, Aaron was going to understand what I'm about to say. Uh, there, there's a, some hurdles that are come from Southern Indiana or Southern Minnesota that are a little untraditional and <laughs> at best, right? To me, that's always a one point deduction to start with because of the approach itself is just so unappealing. Yeah. Um, and not in a forward direction, comes to a stop, the arms do weird things. I can't, I, I can't get away from at least a point to a two-point deduction from a half, you know, you're taking off a half to two in that. And so that dive automatically starts with already kind of a point off from that, from that approach. 
right? So you start looking at those different elements of the die. And then you then look at the overall impression and go that way. I have a tendency to look at the overall impression first and say, what categories that find in? That was a good dive. But then I can say, okay, that takeoff was here. The entry was a little bit there. The pipe position was not all the way in as described in the judge's manual. That your legs be on your chest, there should be no space in there. Or your knees were slightly relaxed. And I can see that as a judge. I have to take off a half to a point or from here. And so while that dive was good in a seven, I am going to put it down into the satisfactory and put it in a six and a six. So the grand scheme of things is that my right side of my brain that is doing the creative side is looking at the overall impression and the left side of my brain is adding up the check marks of I'm taking a half point off here at a point here and doing this. You know, I watched gymnastics is trying, you know, they're, their, their American Cup or what they're doing this week in the Nationals now. Um, and I watched that yesterday. And, you know, gymnastics judges are taking off uh, three-tenths for being out and this and doing that. And they're doing these components. And so it's similar, but we're trying to condense that all into a five-second period after the, the dive goes. And I will tell you, one of the worst things we do is we try to speed up our competitions by making our judges go faster. Oh, yeah. That's, to think about it. That's, that's, that's really true. Uh, I've noticed that. Uh, at, at a bunch of big meets, not, not just Minnesota state, but I, you know, NCAA it's, you know, get, get that score out. Let's go. Let's, let's yeah, get they want your score. And they want you to do it. And, and I'm always one of like, listen, I'm, I'm contemplating, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it in my head. And I will tell you that it takes advantage of some of the things that I do. Um, I did as a diver and did as an athlete, as far as the visualization is a lot of times I, I, I almost will sit be sitting on the panel. You see me close my eyes and I'm watching the diving over in my head and mm-hmm. going, what, what did I see in there? Where am I taking off? What's that look like? And how did it compare to the other ones I've seen? And where does it fit in this range and trying to put them in there? Um, and I've been pretty fortunate that, you know, I, I, when, I, when I have judged and I've had those opportunities, I've been evaluated by the observers in these, you know, courses. In the, you know, 90, you have to be 90 or above. I've usually been between 95 and 90. Um, and, and, and they give you some tolerance that they do, but it, it gives you this kind of idea. And I, I will say that I think every coach should understand and actually be able to know what those rules are as far as how the divers are being evaluated by the officials. Because if you don't, you are circumventing the rules because you aren't being able to give the information to your athletes of what they're going to be evaluated on. So does that make sense? So yeah, that, that's, that's where I start. And then how I bring that into what I do as a coach is the next part of it, because I think that's so important. And I believe that execution actually matters. And if you look at, you know, and this is probably the high performance side of me going into it too, because I think that's the other piece. Um, and, and we could talk about that too, but high performance itself is that, you know, when you get to the Olympics, you know, what, what do the numbers tell you? The numbers tell you that if you're on women's three meter, you need to get eights or above at your list of 3.0 for your, you know, your 15.1 for your five dots. That, that's what it's going to tell you. It's going to take you to, to, to win an Olympic medal, right? So 15.1 times 24 times three or times 24, that's 362. That's probably what it's going to take for you to win an Olympic medal. That's the reality, right? And, and if you're going to get eights, you're going to have to be in the right position in your hurdle. 
you're going to have to be in the right pipe position going coming in your dive in the flight and you're going to have to rip your entry those are three things you're going to have to do every time not 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 if you want to be in the top 12 but if you want to be and win a medal you got to do at least those things on all five of your dives right, right? and so how are you going to get eight if you can't go in the if you can't do a pike with your legs straight and your body on your legs on your chest? Yep. You're not. You know, if you can't rip an entry, you can't do a back line up the right way, you know, or a back dive the right way, you're not going to rip a back two and a half either. And so where I would tell you is, is that those things made a huge impression on me of, of kind of that, you know, what what the, the judging course was and and that I think it's important that every coach understands. And, and frankly, when they sit down to judge, I don't think they judge like that either. They just like coaches, well, he technically did what I wanted. And so I'm going to give that a good score. Whereas it may be lacking in the actual technical things as far as the flight position being in a small tuck. Did you do a back dive tuck and did you grab your ankles and were your knees on your chest or did you touch your, touch your knees and go like this? This to me, I'm taking off by half to two points. And I've judged, judged at some of those high school meets and I've judged at, you know, the the NCAAs and done that. And you know what? I'm, those things are, I'm, I tend to be low on some of that when the positions and body positions are wrong. I tend to be a little more forgiving when you do those things right. And you maybe miss the entry a little bit. Um, but the, the technical components of your head position, how you're connecting, where you are distance wise, how high it jumped, those things matter more now yes your entry has to be is part of that but it's not the only thing and i think a lot of coaches don't ever look at it from what the judging rubric is they look at it from a coach well they did a good dive they went in vertical and, and i'm probably the go slow let's get the execution scores in the eight and a half to nine and a half range so that we're doing the very good things so that when we do the harder dives and we do them right we're not just doing them to do them for fives and, and, you know, kicking the can down the road, but you know, we're going to do it for six and a half sevens and, and we're going to miss for that because we've got all the other components, right? Yeah. I think you absolutely nailed that one. And, and that yeah. was, that's something that I see all the time with these upper tier divers is when they miss, it's still component wise, a great dive. And when they hit it, that's when they're getting these big, you know, 50, 60 plus points at a high school level. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think to me, then, then, then what you do is, is that as you build your, your program, right. And what your, your system is, and it, and it is a system is that these are the things we're going to do at all these levels. We're going to do a front jump tuck and we're going to grab our ankles. We're going to put our feet on our butt. We're going to get our knees on our chest. And if we don't have the flexibility to do that, we're going to do dry land and our flexibility and our stretching routine that does that. And we have to them all around the thing goes to the next step that when we can do it on the ground, we can then do it in the water. And if we do it in the water in a jump, then we can do it on a dive. And if we don't get it on the dive, we keep going back, we go back and do it on a jump. And so that you keep moving back and forth in those levels so that you actually are, are building that. You know what? It should be that if you're doing those skills correctly, you'll eventually get there. That doesn't mean that you're going to get to the same level as fast as somebody who's maybe, you know, chasing the degree of difficulty, as I like to call it, and going to hard dives. But that person has created a ceiling for themselves that they're never going to go past in my mind. That there's, there's always going to be a limitation because this fundamental skill is lacking. And I, makes perfect I, sense. 
Yeah, and I, I will tell you that I took some of that just from, again, you're talking about how, how you learn. Uh, a coaching clinic I went to back in 2003, um, and I think it's telling about our, our kind of how we, we do things. And it was with Zhu Yuming, who was the national team coach and, and director for China. And he was doing a coaching clinic in, in Ohio at um, US Elite, which was Drew Johansson's club with him and KR, um, Kong Rong Lee, who was the coach at the University of Miami that's now the, the Illinois diving coach. And um, KZ, who had been here at Minnesota and has coached in several places across the world in, in different colleges. Um, and having this discussion and talking about things and he's, he's got a, 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 a system that he basically has written out and, and did for FINA several years ago. And it's awesome if you can get a, a hand copy of it. But we were talking about that kind of through the system and, you know, in a couple of, it was a three day, I think it was two or three days that we were there and in the gym kind of talking through things and going through stuff and looking at that and, and, and discussing and, was interesting. We, we had some, you know, some time for questions and it was a couple of coaches were asking questions. It's like, well, I have this boy and he does a front three and a half pike and he bends over and he can get it down on the bottom, but you know, he, he's too far out and goes over and he goes, well, what would you do to fix it? And the response, you know, Chu Ming doesn't speak English. He speaks Chinese only. And so you got KR to KR and KZ talking to Zhu Yuming about it and kind of go through the you know five minute discussion in Chinese and then come back and the answer is well you go back to the floor in the gym and you do a front jump and and I, it was it was it was a for me kind of an aha moment of yeah we we want to be the fixers well how do you fix it instead of how do you build it you know and the answer the answer came back of you build it you go back to the gym and you start on this first skill you you, you can't can't fix it in the water you can adjust in the water but that you got to go back and build the foundation first before you can actually truly fix it that makes so much sense so i thought it was very funny that you know you had a five minute discussion and the answer was go back and do a front jump on the floor and then <laughs> and i was like and i was sort of like it's not wrong i get that it, it, it's up what, but yeah that's what you got to do one thing it goes it goes back to what you said earlier just about you know, the dry land rooms, your laboratory, that's where you go back and you, you do that stuff. So it kind of reinforced that really. Um, you know, we kind of touched on high performance. I think that's a pretty decent segue into kind of our, our last segment here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Hoosier divers at Olympic trials that are going to be starting tomorrow. So, you know, what are, what are you most excited for? What are you looking at? What are the storylines you're trying to keep an eye on and tell us what you're excited about? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's a, it's an interesting deal for me. You know, I, I, I had a period of time when I was working for USA Diving as the director of education that part of my job was also the, the junior high performance program. And I was and would, dubbed it the future Olympic force at one point in there and, and that we were, you know, just defining some things. And we took a group to China, some coaches and athletes and going over there. And some of those young kids that were on our, our trip there now in 2014, which is seven years ago, are, uh, playing a prominent role in that, that memory comes up. Actually, it was May of 2014. And so it came up a few days ago. Um, and I'm looking at a picture with, you know, Maggie Merriman and um, Maria Coburn and Taryn Gilliland and, and, and some of those, those younger athletes at that point that are in there, Noah Dupere, um, that are, are doing that. And 
obviously I've had the opportunity to, to see, you know, firsthand, you know, Steele Johnson and Sarah Bacon and Sarah Bacon's one of her first meets, I think was at the IU outdoor pool when I was coaching in Indiana as the assistant coach in the club program and doing that. And so I, it's um, hard for the fan in me to not see them succeed. I, I know many of them personally. I am in a, in, and, and know what, what they're really good at, know, know where their weaknesses are and see how things go. But I, I'm just so impressed with how hard everybody is working and the things that they're doing to prepare. Um, it, it is, it, it's an unprecedented time, right? That, you know, that having to go an extra year, having to decide if you're going to dive. I, I'm always the, the part that, that is nice for me. And I think watching the Olympic trials is seeing the athletes who can, handle the pressure by being prepared about all of those things. And um, if you have not uh, listened to Sam Dorman and Michael Hickson talk about pray for rain and their, their inspiration coming from Scott Doney, go find it. Um, it is uh, it's fantastic. They are uh, it, it, their discussion about that and kind of getting prepared for Rio and, and you know, it was that that is an awesome thing and, and Scott acting as a mentor and doing that too is that I think that's a really cool thing um so you know uh, the storylines that really go you know that stand out to me is is that synchronized events are, are always I think um exciting I think in the last you know 12 years we have embraced that here in this country um more than we ever have um and if you look at our Olympic success between 2012 and 2021 so far and 2012 and 2016, um, we won a lot more medals in synchro than we did in individual events. Um, but I think those medals in, in, in the synchronized events help us put us in a position to win medals in the individual events and to, to, to do our performances that way. And so, you know, you can have all sorts of storylines you want to talk about. Talk about David Badaya trying to seek seek an Olympic team on three meter and three meter synchro. Um, Steele Johnson, who is, you know, seeking a chance to go back and, and get another medal and 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 doing that. Obviously, some adversity that goes along with that. You know, who who who's going to show up on women's ten meter? Um, probably the most interesting and exciting event and the deepest women's three meter. It, there is, there are lots of candidates there. Who's going to be able to put it together for, for three full lists. Um, you know, if you look at the women's synchro three meter and in 2012 at the Olympic trials, I think the, the two, two teams that were first and second rate second were separated by less than a point after three lists, you know, and, and the, those things that probably determined that were the execution scores on the voluntaries on the 2.0 dives. And it's easy to look at and go, it's the optional dives. But, you know, we, we have a tendency in this country to not necessarily be as good at the first two and have some challenges um, coming back on optionals and doing that. But I wish we would continue to, to work on that. But I think that there's so many, it, it's always just interesting to see who rises to the occasion in that period of time. Obviously, I'd love to see David Dinsmore have a successful meet too. Um, he's a great young man. I, I, I've gotten a chance to know him over years and, and just, you know, he's a guy who was third at the World Cup leading into Rio, but didn't make the team. And not because he wasn't good, but, and so we, we have a, a spot where, you know, as funny as it may sound, 
we are deeper than a lot of other countries. You know, some countries have picked their team based on who qualified them for their spot for the Olympics and that that was already a decision and they didn't have to go through a trials. Um, that's not how it works in this country. And so they are feeling the pressure and how that all goes and, and handling the situation. So I think there's a lot of fun things to look at and fun things to watch. But I think the biggest thing is, is that, you know, watching people's growth and development and seeing them, you know, handle that and also having them hopefully understand that even if they were to fall, fall short and fail, that that does not make them terrible individuals and that that does not make them bad divers. It means that, you know, it wasn't their time. And so I think that's the hard part is, is that I, I couldn't say that there's any one of them that I would be my favorite, that I would love to see them do succeed. I would like to see them all succeed. And, and I'd like to see team USA succeed too. Um, so. Perfect. Well, I'm going to lead right into our, our signature questions here. So I gave Jason a little heads up yesterday. Uh, my signature question is what is your favorite failure? Um, so I'm going to answer it in a couple of different ways. Um, my favorite personal failure, um, as my junior year at the NCAA's own meet and it was 1993 and a time where you platform was weighted, but not exactly the same. And we were under a different system and you basically had to pick two events to dive at the zone meet. And they assigned points to springboard first through 12th place or 15th place. And then on platform, they only assigned points for first through 10th. Um, and the points were weighted towards springboard. And my, I dove pretty well on three meter. I was, I was seventh um, by 15 hundredths of a point over one of my really good friends, Eric Lester, who dove at the University of Michigan. Um, Abel Sanchez, who was also at the University of Michigan, was 12th and uh, also a friend of mine. And we only had, they still only did the, the zone meet in two days, even though we had three events to do. So on that particular year, we had to double up and do platform right after we'd done springboard. <laughs> um, so the three of us all competed on platform two, and I would say that platform was the better event for all three of us. Um, and then on the platform event, we were, we competed and Abel ended up diving very well, got second, and Eric ended up diving very well, got third, and I ended up diving okay and got fourth, 15 hundredths of a point behind Eric, the exact same score, and they had, I think, seven spots for our zone that year. Eric got the seventh one. I was eighth in the first one out. Oh. Um, and that was at the University of Michigan. It was in Ann Arbor, and Eric actually was the one who told me, he's like, I'm in, you're out, and I was pretty angry, um, <laughs> yeah. disappointed yeah. to say the least, but I appreciated that, you know, he came over and told me, and that was my junior year in college and I missed making NCAAs and, you know, felt, felt, felt pretty upset, uh, you know, and I kind of, kind of gave some chances to reflect and, you know, we, we got in the, the minivan to drive back to, to, to IU from Burnham Arbor and I sat in the very back and didn't really speak to anybody for a while. About three hours into the trip, I finally came up to the front seat and, and said something to, to my coach and said to Jeff, I said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to put myself in that position ever again, um, where I have to rely on other people to, to do, to, to do that. And, you know, and I kind of made a decision that I was going to do some things different. 
And uh, the next year at NCAA zones, and, and I, I would change my training plan a little bit. And I kind of, as a, as a fourth, fourth year senior, I, I said to Jeff, I was like, hey, I don't really want to do one meter this year, other than I'm going to do it once a week. And I'm going to do lead ups on one meter and, and focus on three meter and tower. And that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, one meter be what it, what it is. And that's not really my event. And that's okay. Went to the NCAA zone meet the next year and it was three meter the first day. And I, I, I had a personal best at the zone meet and didn't miss a dive. Um, didn't get below a seven and a half on any of my dives, optionals or voluntaries and, and ended up about five thirty, um, and was third behind BJ Bogart and Yoshi, um, who had dove at Ohio state who had been in NCAA the last two years. And I was third and pretty much after that, no matter what I did on tower the next day I was in. Um, and so, but, it took me, you know, to making a decision a year earlier that I wasn't going to let that happen to me again um, because I needed to take my career in that direction. So uh, from a personal failure standpoint as an athlete, that was, I think, my biggest one um, where I kind of took some time to process it and decided that I was going to do what I was going to do about it and how I was going to handle it um, and turn it into a positive. As far as my coaching failures, um, and I think that's a different piece um I think every coaching failure I have leads to what the next success is going to be um and I think from being a college coach and being a club coach and and watching somebody do that is that you know making a decision about should we do a back twister or do a reverse twister and what you know what dive do we do at the at this meet is that what gives us the best opportunity to succeed and you know how do I want to you know move on in advance and I think you know being able to tell an athlete that listen if you go to his own meet and they get seven people that qualify and you get seventh you won it doesn't matter you were the same as the person who won because they're all going to get a chance to dive again it's not the end so I think learning from that is that my biggest failures there is always that you know is to fail up right? Figure out that what you can do, learn from your failure and then go back and, and be willing to then through and what would I have done different? How am I prepared? What have I done in the last year? And I think that, that goes to, you know, do you, do you have your plan written down of what you've done for training? You know, would you do something different with that athlete? Would you not you know what, maybe we need to focus on backs and reverses and inwards and we don't need to spend as much time on twisters or maybe we need to go back and work on the basic skills and take some time to do that and before we do that. But if you don't have that stuff written down, it's really hard to make an adjustment to it. And so, you know, having, having a, a written workout goal and how you actually learn how to fail up is how to go back and fix it and how to do better and change and adapt. Love it. Awesome. Um, so, so my question that I tend to ask everybody is what was the best advice you have either received and, or given? You know, I, I think, I think the best advice I was ever given, um, was that, you know, life is what you choose to make of it. You know, I think, I think being a diving coach, we live in a very, solitary world right um we coach in a silo as i like to call it because a lot of times you're the only diving coach in your program and you you don't you don't have the ability to see other people know what they're doing doing that and i think you know have being willing to admit i don't know everything 
and going out and asking for people's advice, leaning on other people and doing that, learning, leaning on people that you respect and trust and getting their opinion. Um, I think never undervaluing our history. And that is, you know, there's something to be learned from Kobe, Kimball, that, but there's also something to be learned from Jeff Huber. There's something to be learned from Vince Panzano. There's something to be learned and not be afraid to ask and talk and talk to people and ask questions. Um, and, but also to not be afraid to say, I don't know everything. I think that's a, the, the, the hardest part for people to say is that, well, I don't want this person to think I don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, guess what? Who cares? They're going to remember they're going to, they're going to remember you ask them for their advice and say, Hey, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm, I'm watching this hurdle and I like what you're doing, but I don't understand it. Can, can you explain it to me? Nine times out of 10, that person's going to go, oh, yeah, sure. I'm happy to do it. It's this, that, and the other, and here's what we're trying to do. And here's how you get there and, and doing that. And so, um, best advice I've ever given, I think is, uh, is more that, you know, this too shall pass, right? Like life is, life is too short to not enjoy the moments that you have, um, I'm probably one who hates losing more than I love winning. Um, <laughs> you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I think Heath and I both are <laughs> in that same boat. <laughs> and I think that the other part of that is too, is that um, I've been fortunate enough to have athletes that have had success and that when they have success, it is their success. That's not mine. Um, and, you know, I, my, the first junior national title that Lindsay won in 2003 at Stanford, I, I, clearly remember it like it was yesterday i'm sitting at the outdoor pool and i i am thinking of all the work we've done on backs reverses and inwards and putting ourselves in a position that way she went into the last round and i was like she's got back to now twister you're all dead she's 40 points ahead. she's 35 points ahead of you and it's 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 a done deal at this point if she scores less than 60 points i will be shocked she didn't um you know, and she beat some pretty good quality candidates in that with Cassie Krug and Trisha Tomlinson and, you know, Mary Harrison was in that group and people that represented Team USA at the international level. But, you know, she she just came out and dove, dove really, really well and doing that. And I had coaches come on and go, congratulations, you guys won. And I was like, oh, congratulate Lindsay. I didn't do any dives today. I just sat here on my butt and did my job, which was give her a chance to be successful. And I think it's never been about me. Um I don't need anybody's validation for me being a good coach or a bad coach. Um, but that my athletes, if they see me as a good person and a human being who cares about them, then the rest is, is what it is. Awesome. And then, uh, so the new question we kind of added in this week is what is your favorite drill or technique? Um, I, I, I think, and I'm going to answer it in a weird way. My favorite driller technique is, is that being able to look at things and go, how can I do this in a different way? Um, that not, not all drills are built the same and not all people are built the same. And so you can't try to put every kid that walks through your program does the same drills. Um, that they may all need a different spin on it. Um, and I will tell you that I probably have more people on my team that do back doubles and reverse doubles standing tuck on three meter um, before they do back two and a half and reverse two and a half. And people, people look at me go that way. And I have, have had kids who trip standing. 
you know, hurdle reverse triple. And they're like, before they do reverse two and a half and they're going, why do you do that? And I was like, well, because they're more comfortable going to their feet in that particular athlete. That's, that's what that benefits them because they're aggressive that way. Instead of trying to find the entry, they move it for the speed that I want, you know, and I, we had the regional meet here this past weekend and I, and I'm the perfect example. I had a young lady who in the warm up, and she's, she's been with me a while. She's 15, 16, just recently 16 in June, you know, then she's been with us for about five years. Warming up and we've been doing this for a while. She's doing reverse one half and she likes to push it out, go slow, come out a little early, pull with her shoulders and get there. And it drives me nuts. And I'm like, you can make that. I don't know why she's doing it. And during the warm up, you know, they've got 44 girls in the event and, you know, all of them on one, you know, 40 girls on two groups of 22 on one meter and they're warming up. And I sent her up to three meter to do standing reverse double tuck and standing reverse one half tuck. And they were, I swear I had coaches that look at me like giving me this guy. They're like, what is he doing? And, uh, and she goes up and doubles pretty good and comes out. I'm like, that's the speed I want. Does a reverse one half, kicks tight and goes in the water. Okay, you're ready to go. And I'm doing that. And we didn't do another one down on one there. And then in the meet, she did a good one. And, and you know, understanding and unlocking every kid's brain is, is a personal challenge, right? They're not all motivated the same, but it's sometimes of like, I have this drill. You're probably not going to like it, but I think it's going to get us to the spot we need to go. So that my, my favorite drill is the one that clicks with the individual to get them to do the thing that you want them to do. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, I know for a fact that we could just continue to talk for hours, whether it's diving uh, deeper into technique and arm circles and hurdles and positions, yeah. all of that fun stuff. But uh, I think it's probably a good time to wrap it up for this show. And hopefully we can have you back uh, at, a, at a later point in time. I know sure. I enjoyed this immensely. Yeah, me Agreed. too. I'd be happy to do it. Agreed. Thank you for your time, Jason. Oh, not a problem. Like all said, right. I'm, yeah. I'm to do it. Everybody out there, feel free to reach out. Twitter, Instagram. We are the diving pod and Gmail is uh, the diving pod at gmail.com. Any uh, follow-up questions for Jason would be happy to shoot them over to him in an email or whatever you got. So thanks again. We'll see you next time.